0: podcast with Martika that's me as a queer individual I am so excited to release this fifth episode during pride month sideshow history has always included queer individuals and given them a space to show their truer selves that's why it's so important for us to continue to highlight our LGBTQIA community within this sideshow umbrella I'm so excited to continue that history with this next episode. Thanks for joining. Today we have our first duo interview. Together they have a production called the Kinetic Cabaret Production, the duo group The Brides. I can go on and on about them. I already did. This is our second recording of this. I'm so excited to just get this going, so we're just going to go straight into it. Would you both like to introduce yourselves?
1: Sure. Hi, everybody. I am Fopalafay, the girl whose body came out the wrong way.
2: (laughs) I am Aurora North, and dubbed by my own birth mother, I am the little
0: shit. wonderful thank you so much for being a part of this this will be my third interview i'm still getting used to speaking into our microphone and the whole process of doing podcasts this has been a wonderful organic experience as i'm certain they're both realizing today thanks for having us We're going to start off with some warm-up questions. These are questions that I like to ask everyone that comes onto the podcast because it helps us get to know them a little bit more and it helps me warm up for our tough questions. Okay. Well, <laughs> we're going to start with how do you like your coffee or tea? Or if you don't like both, you can say whatever you want to. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> um how do you do your coffee honey? i mean i'm pretty simple just some cream and sugar um and i don't like the way you do it because the time, <laughs> oh the times that i've mistakenly grabbed her cup and drank it it is a very bad experience for me because i do cream sugar and cayenne
0: pepper in my coffee wow i haven't heard of that before i've heard of like turmeric but that yeah. is a that is a kick <laughs> Tea of choice.
2: Tea, tea. I like um, the hibiscus tea and uh-huh. I don't have anything in it, just as is.
1: I do dandelion root with honey, Ooh. turmeric, and cayenne pepper. Okay. <laughs>
0: You know, just the other day, I saw dandelion and Whole Foods for sale. And I was thinking, wow, if my mom saw that, she would just turn in her grave for the cost of that. It's like that's just right over there. But that's I haven't heard of a lot of people drinking that. <laughs> yeah,
1: My tea
0: of choice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to try that <laughs> cayenne pepper. That is just rocking my world. I'm writing it down, making notes. <laughs> Our next question, what is your favorite time of the year?
2: I am a summer baby. I was born in June. I live for the heat. I live for going to the beach. I'm a Coney Island girl. I'm a mermaid. I'll just give me the beach and yeah. the ocean and I'm set.
1: Yeah. Um, it's, it's fall for me. I think mainly because, um, I mean, there's a lot of mixes, a lot of mixes. I'm a little, Appalachian, hillbilly, part Irish, you know, part Mohawk gal, but with Samhain, Samhain is New Year's for us, which is Mm -hmm. so I think just that that time of year, the change of season, the color of leaves. Well, we're in the Northeast, so the color of (laughs) and uh, just um, that whole festival of sort of letting things go and reflecting on the new year that's special.
0: I love that. I heard that um, with our other interviewee, and I, I love. I hadn't thought about that, but that changing of time in that period—it's like you know. What? I enjoy that time of the year, but I never put those words to it, and I love it. It's it's like poetry about nature. <laughs> okay, one more warm up question before we get into the really cool stuff. <clears throat> Tell me something about yourself that people wouldn't expect. So for me, um, let us I'll say something different than what I said last time. Something that people wouldn't expect is that I used to be a vegetarian for over a decade. And I was a vegetarian from the time of 14 years old and onward. And I eventually stopped eating meat just because my relationship to it changed over time. So maybe they'll get your your gears going or something. <laughs>
2: um, um, I mean, people probably don't know. I uh, I grew up in the uh, theater world. Like, I my dad is uh, a musician. He's a percussionist, and he mm-hmm. was also the director of the high school that I went to. Uh, more specifically, the um, performing arts director. Um, mm-hmm. he really introduced me to this world and growing up, I played saxophone and I was also trained in choral music for many years. So I don't really do that in our work these days, yeah. but it's something I have in my back pocket. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: That's really cool.
0: Uh, mm-hmm.
1: Um, I spent, uh, a, a good portion of my young childhood in my grandparents tra- trailer, mm-hmm. Learned to shoot a gun at about six, go fishing. And I think my first clothing from birth to about five years old was the same pair of
0: overalls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Save a lot of money. <laughs> <So there. laughs> awesome. Okay. So you already have told, answered something. Like, My first question—I've already touched on that—of who are you and where are you from, or where are you currently living? I feel like we we just learned a little bit more about where you are from, but feel free to elaborate. Um, go
2: ahead, honey. Oh, I was the dog. dog, He wants to be in the. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm from uh, just north of Toronto. Um, so. Also, being a Canadian girl and up north, uh, people think, oh, well, you must love the winter. No, I hate, I hate, I hate, I hate the cold. Um, so, I'm from Canada. I came to New York for grad school and I couldn't leave because this city just sucks you in. Um, and that's where we still are. We moved to Brooklyn for the first time. We've well, both it's never been over
1: two years. I know, you? I
2: know, but we were Manhattan girls for many years. Right. What a lie.
1: Yeah. You're a Canadian. I'm, I think we have this in common, Martico. Um, I am as well a military kid. And so I was born in El Paso, Texas. Um, my grandparents were from West Virginia, my, my mom is also. And we bounced probably every two years until middle school. So like Alabama, New Orleans, Denver, Alaska, we just moved all around. So saw a lot of places. Um, but then for high school it was back on the border of Mexico, there in El Paso, and I don't know, yeah, just everywhere and nowhere. That's where I'm from.
0: <laughs> I always feel like that's such a hard question to answer as a as a military kid when they're like, "Where are you from?" You're like, uh, "I'm a I'm, Amer- I'm a I'm U- American. I'm from USA." <laughs> like, when, <laughs> do I really have to answer this question again? <laughs> I'm sorry I did that to you. it's <laughs> fine. Okay. So the next question that brings us to your skill sets, and, I mean, everything that makes you both amazing together and separate, what do you do in the umbrella of sideshow? I mean, I've seen you virtually, and I feel like if people are listening to this, they probably have seen some of your different skill sets. I mean, the, the sideshow stunts that you have I've seen you do together, the choreography. You've – oh. I, you recently posted a video that was group choreography that was amazing. I was like, oh, I have to ask about it. <laughs> I'll stop talking and let you talk.
2: <laughs> um, well, so What do we do together? Well, first, I mean, I guess we'll go from the beginning. We both started separately as dancers. So that I think is what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, we came together. Uh, I met Fauxpas through her dance company, which I auditioned for. Um, so that's where we kind of came into side show from in this off way. Right. Um, so we came in from dance, we do we got into together uh, partner acrobatics. Mm-hmm. Um and then we found Sideshow and we each just started taking on different skills. I mean, I don't know what you're Well you want to say together
1: about it. we're fire eaters together uh-huh. mm-hmm. and grounded acrobat partnering, strong women partnering. Yeah. Um we're both with we're both blockheads mm-hmm. and um you're an aerialist mm-hmm. i do human pincushion. um i we do stapling We you well you do human stapling i can do it if i have to you do human stapling more mm-hmm. than me as far as an art form and oh well for the kiddos i make balloon animals and swallow balloons
0: I, I was that. gonna say i saw a choreographed balloon act in one of the shows <laughs> i loved it it was like a whole thing it's like wow <laughs> i feel
1: like we're doing something um oh we have a, we have a python again yeah. in our we have a, we have another part of our show family izzy the mm-hmm. python, yes. mm-hmm. um oh trap. you know mousetrap, we yeah. snap some mousetraps on our body parts mm-hmm. also yeah, so all of that
0: stuff. You're <laughs> so like, in the umbrella. <laughs> that's
1: another thing we have in common, because you're a strong woman, also.
0: Kind of, I I do a few things. I dabble in it, but I don't like to say that I'm a strong woman because I there's some women out there that are just so amazing, and my muscles are nowhere near that level. <laughs> so I'm a novice. Um, I can do, you know, the can of beans, phone book, um, Apple. I used to do cards, but I have totally let my grip lax. I don't do aerial anymore. I So once you don't do I, you both understand aerial. Um, doing acrobatics, you have to have that grip, and if you don't work on it, uh, you're not going to be in the air for a long time but uh <laughs> yeah. so no one ever tried to ask me to do that in person <laughs> but uh, so w- since you're part of that umbrella we can talk about so many different things we don't have to talk about any different act <laughs> but for you both as a duo I'm a, a solo act so there's things that you both do together as a duo that I'm sure has advantages and and disadvantages since you both have had the experience of being solo artists as well. You understand more about both of that. Are there some advice that you could give to a a duo act that's maybe up and coming um, advantages advantages or disadvantages ways to work around them?
2: Honesty is so important (laughs) and Mm -hmm. patience. But, I mean I feel like we have like
1: but, it, right but we're married in real life too so yeah it's different like I think that's different than maybe a duo who's professional partners but then not a couple mm-hmm. off stage mm-hmm. so that probably like contributes to our communication because right. it's it's like 24 seven. Right. As opposed to like just a professional partnership. Mm -hmm. So in a professional sense, I think, yeah, communication for sure. Yeah. Um,
2: What else? Advice. Um, I mean, rehearsing together as much as you can. um, I mean, that goes hand in hand with us living together. But the more that you work together, the more that you learn the subtleties of each other and you can kind of anticipate and, mm. and work with that. We've been doing a lot of classes lately with um, uh, uh, duo, part hand-to-hand, but also just acrobatics. And we've learned through that, we already, I feel like had some of this, but we've learned a lot about how to read each other's bodies more. Yeah. And yeah, that's, I think, even to people who don't do acrobatics but still do duo acts, I think that's something that can really um, benefit
1: right. you. I I mean, I think the, the two things I would say is like when you're on stage, um, be aware that you're relating to the audience Mm -hmm. and like really to each other, Mm -hmm. like, as it, like, like you're, you're, it's a new experience every time. Mm -hmm. So don't pressure for perfection, you know? Mm -hmm. And if you're at rehearsal and it's getting frustrating and you feel yourself getting emotional, shut the fuck up and take a break.
0: I wish I had someone tell me that. <laughs> I can tell you that's the disadvantage of being a solo act is that you don't have someone to bounce ideas off of, but you don't have someone to tell you <laughs> that. Yeah.
2: I think as a solo artist, that's important too. Is right. if it's not working, just take a, break. take a break
1: We don't have to go to sketchy venues alone. That's nice. That's really good. Nice. You know, you don't have to go alone.
2: Uh-huh. Um, yeah. <laughs>
0: righty, I would love to talk some about your roles involved in the Southern Sideshow Hoot Nanny. <laughs> uh,
2: well, we came into it. Um, yeah. We were recommended by Chris McDaniel, right? Right. Um, wonderful rope artist. He's so lovely. He's like a living cowboy. Yes. Yes. Um, he recommended that we check them out. Uh, I guess it was two years. No. Well, it's hard like to tell the pandemic. I know. Like a year right. and a
1: half ago. It was whenever the it, deadline was approaching. Okay. It was it was the last performance we did together live before the pandemic.
2: Well, the performance was last March.
0: Was in so, New Orleans. Yes. Yeah. So
2: he recommended that we check them out and we looked at um, their website and the uh-huh. festival and the application process, and we thought it sounded like a dream. Um, so we applied and right. got into the family.
1: We did the troop night. So night. With the festival, when it's happened, when it happens, is broken down into several nights. So there's like up and coming performers, soloists, and like established performers. The Saturday, like, yeah. And then there's troop night, and they pick three or four troops to do like a thirty minute um, condensed version of say their full length show, mm-hmm. and that's family night. So it's all ages. And we took our pixie grit. We have a two woman full length like an uh, hour long show called Pixie Grit. Mm-hmm. And so we did a 30 minute mm-hmm. tour version of that. And that was our first experience with yeah. right so it. And that was in New Orleans.
2: Yeah, so that was last March uh-huh. and that's how we met everybody. Right. Um, and then the pandemic hit yeah. and you, excuse me, you became involved with them. A couple months into the pandemic, I saw a post
1: that they were, they needed um, some new people on the the board It's a not it's a not for profit organization. And so I'm currently the um, head of education. Uh, So maybe that's something people don't know about me. I have a master's degree in choreography and dance and, and I've taught at a lot of places, Lincoln Center and all sorts of very important sounding things, but you know, yada, yada, yada. But so I am currently serving as their head of education. Mm -hmm. And so for my role, um, I, we have a program that's about to air that I've been working on similar to yours where I interview people and it's called Goobagabagab, get to know one of us. And that will be airing on uh, Southern Sideshow um website. And uh, we have a Facebook and a website. So I handle all sorts of those programs. We actually have an educational workshop series tomorrow. Um, that is gonna teach you three different things about how to make money in the warm season.
2: During a pandemic. I'll be
1: teaching busking and dealing with permits and those situations for more like city, people who live in city or urban areas. And then there'll be a workshop Mm -hmm. um, more about your act and how to like adapt act work. And then uh, Captain and Maybell are doing a workshop more for if you live somewhere where you have a car and you do out kind of shows, kind of like you do, Martika, where you, you're you booking out. I know you do like driveways and backyards and corporate. And so they're doing a workshop on how to make that COVID safe. So we also offer educational programming. But once we're back up and running, there's an annual festival once a year that is held in New Orleans. And everything from just started performers to well-seasoned to troops are welcome to apply and come down and perform and network and it's just a great time.
0: That sounds absolutely wonderful. So I have a quick question. The workshop program that you are doing, so they will be able to learn performance theory, I'm guessing, and skill sets in in the program? Um, it's
1: not as much not based on, one. I think the middle one is magic. There's some magic stuff. Mm-hmm which is more like, because magic is a little COVID safe. It's very COVID safe. So the middle one might have more skill stuff because it's a a magician is Mm -hmm. doing. My workshop is dealing more with, let's, we live in New York. Let's say you live in more of a city. You're going to be on foot, public transit, a bicycle. So how do you take your act or show, pare it down to uh, like a 15 to 20 minute, And how do you pack your props and everything so you literally you're on foot and you can bounce around for a whole day all through the warm months and stay safe Mm -hmm. and busk and make a living. That's what I'm focused. That's what my experience is.
2: Yeah, I think the workshops are less about um, skill sets and and teaching those skills versus um, we're still in the pandemic. So how can you? Yeah. How can you, <laughs> how can you survive?
0: <laughs> wow. She was rubbing her fingers if, if for the ones who can't see <laughs> for money, <I> think, money.
1: <laughs> what Captain and Maybell are doing is they have they have they're gonna, I'm going to teach you like we've taken an old oboe case, gutted it, and refitted it that we can fit every prop in the case and go and open it up and all our our stuffs there, so we don't have to unpack and repack. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to talk about busking and masks and safety and everything captain and Maybell, because they they live where you drive they have done a thing where they can pack up like a show in their truck
2: that and like merch table and, and a stuff. merch
1: table mm-hmm. show up pop it up and and like have a very mini like show that just pops up somewhere because they're more of a driving mm-hmm. culture so I, I know that our two were workshops you're dealing with if you're, you have that access fears are still- we wanted to focus as we're all going into the warm months on how do you safely monetize
0: your life depending on your current situation <laughs> that is wonderful. I feel like that's a lot of information that people really need right now. And to apply that for the Sideshow community is amazing. I feel like the, the burlesque community, the circus community, they have so many outlets from you know different podcasts to the different conventions. And Sideshow, we have one in the USA. (laughs) (laughs) So I feel like we need more of this out in the world. (laughs) We need more ways to get connected. There are Facebook groups out there, but I feel even though the people tend to butt heads and get a little disconnected, so having these outlets is a wonderful way for us to see each other face to face and communicate and to help us grow and become stronger overall. I feel like the Sideshow community, the the growth the has been a little bit staggered in ways. If not, it's stalled at some points because of that lack of communication and that lack of ability to learn from each other. I feel like some people are afraid to reach out and talk to each other and to learn from each other for a variety of different reasons. I would love to ask you, have you had any experience when you're getting involved in the Sideshow community? Were there any points that you felt like there was friction or has it been welcoming from the moment that you stepped into the community? As queer individuals, I feel like there, with the Sideshow history, it has been a place that has given us an outlet to work, to be welcomed. But at the same time, it has also had its... Um, not so good representations of the queer community. How have you felt in the modern day and age that you've experienced Sideshow overall?
2: Um, I feel like we have been pretty lucky. We came into Sideshow primarily through Coney Island USA. Mm -hmm. Um, And we've had a really positive experience with them um, through both our training and performance, right. Um, we've, I felt been very accepted and, yeah. um, almost fostered. So that's been really positive. Um, I'm not sure about the psycho community at whole, if you want to talk about, well, I mean,
1: I, I think, um, I think, you know, there's, there's always going to be some, crossover into any industry from the larger uh, world view and culture, so we can't ignore uh, the progress but also the great pushback against the queer community in American culture right Mm -hmm. now. That said, I agree that um, we we probably would have, anybody's going to have a very different answer to this, unless there's someone so seasoned they've performed all over the country because this is a big country. Mm-hmm. So we feel lucky that you know Coney Island, USA, was our entry point, and in that respect, um, the school there, our training, our nurturing has been very positive. Mm-hmm. That's not to say that is means that happens everywhere sure. Um, for sure, and we've definitely witnessed um, in other places. Um, I guess like a kind way of saying it is sort of the old guard way that won't let go of maybe some of the control. Um, and I'll just be honest and say like sort of the the white male cis hetero sort of stranglehold on certain aspects of decision-making roles in, in Sideshow, just like every industry. Um, but we have not experienced that at Coney Island. We're just saying we've witnessed it. So definitely it it can't be something we just don't like pretend isn't there. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think I would say for the most part, the the potential of Sideshow because it already is perceived by the American imagination, whether positive or negative as something a little off, a little not mainstream. I think there are more entry points and opportunity for queer people to, like, pull up our bootstraps yeah. and, and really do something with it, where other art forms might have more roadblocks in right. the way that are harder to tear down.
2: I think we're also lucky being performers in New York City, which is a little more of a bubble and a little more, um, accepting might be the wrong word, but I feel like there are more... It's more dense with the LGBTQ community. Am I wrong? I don't know.
0: I Um, would say that's. Oh, sorry. Yeah, go go ahead.
2: ahead.
0: I was gonna say. Me being from Kansas City and being connected to smaller cities, rural areas that I've worked in doing county fairs and things like that, I think that New York definitely has a larger queer community overall and more opportunities for them because of that. You know, more venues, more producers that are open-minded and understand how to work with them, whereas in some of the smaller areas that I've worked at, they... You know, you, you give them anything other than he and she and your tech form and suddenly they don't understand and then they don't know how to introduce you on stage and they'll say the wrong thing or they just don't give you an introduction. I've, I've seen a couple of just random things that were like, OK, <laughs> um, so I uh, that's kind of my One of the reasons why talking about it is that that's something for people who are listening to this, who are from other parts of the country, who may be uh, living in a rural area, who are listening to this. You know, there are a lot of wonderful outlets all over the country, not just the smaller areas like the Midwest.
1: We're definitely fortunate in that respect. Mm -hmm. Um, We talk about it a lot like it's, you know, things Everybody feels frustrations. everybody has things happen. But definitely um, for a sideshow performer that is not nearer to um, a community that has a greater queer population, that's going to be, uh, well, you know, you're, you're, you're not going to feel as supported probably.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. Uh, not having that, that foundation can definitely be hard and not feeling like, well, if I'm not supported and let alone as who I am, why would I, and let alone in the acts that I do, like when I started doing stunts in Kansas City, very few people did it and like, why? Okay, sure. I uh, guess I can have this in my my burlesque show or my variety show. and We'll see how it goes. <laughs> type of situation, um, but in Kansas City, I haven't had to deal with a lot of issues when it comes to being a queer individual. They are very welcoming in Kansas City. Um, the, a lot of the situations that I've seen have been kind of in the, as I was saying, the more rural areas where there's not as much of an outlet to perform. But I mean, come to the big cities and <laughs> people wonder <laughs> where where can I go to be a sideshow entertainer and to feel welcomed as well as being a queer individual. It's like, well, sometimes it means traveling to some of the bigger cities. So. We were, I kind of mentioned it earlier before, but I, I started just talking about all sorts of things, <laughs> which is great. But I was mentioning earlier before kind of talking about kind of how we got to where we are now as modern performers and talking a little bit about the act that I saw you do, if you don't mind me bringing up, which was was I'm assuming it was a homage to Josephine Joseph. And I thought that was really cool to see that act come back into the modern day and age, because I feel there are, like you're saying, some of the, the old hats who have a very strict idea about how sideshow should be presented. And I feel like if you break out of that realm to some degree, then they suddenly don't consider it sideshow anymore, or they don't consider it art to some degree. And seeing you perform, I was just thinking like, wow, that, that's amazing to see how that is coming back and being represented and being spoken from a powerful queer individual. Whereas for people who may not know, Josephine Joseph, she was famous during 1930s. One of the films some people may have seen called Freak. She was in that one. And later down the line, Josephine Joseph was taken into court because people were saying that the act was fraudulent, and they were trying to require her to prove that she was truly half man, half woman in order to perform the act. In the end, she wasn't truly charged. It was more, in my eyes, it seemed like harassment. And basically, my question to you is, understanding the history of that and performing that in the modern day and age how do how do you how do you talk about your history basically how do you continue that history
1: for for those viewers who aren't aware i'm a trans woman Um, now the word the prefix trans encompasses a lot of people so to be more specific about my experience I am an individual who considers that my anatomy literally is a birth defect. That does not describe everybody's trans experience. But for me, um, literally, I've been going under medical transition for many years. And so for me, my experience is my entire body anatomically is false. It is not what the anatomy should have been at birth. And again, I stress that is not everybody's trans experience. So, that said, um, the reason I utilize the figure of Josephine Joseph is more of a way to um, take that icon. It's not really about that individual performer who may or may not have been hermaphrodite. You know, we can't go back in time and verify any of this. Obviously, um, there were there were historical people who were gaffes or doing it fake. There were historical people who were truly hermaphrodites trans individuals. We know both were occurring during a certain period of sideshow. Generally though, um, when they displayed the costume cut down the middle, we know that even for a genetic hermaphrodite would have been false. That would not describe the true condition. That was a theatrical invention. Um, What I have chosen to do is because the figure of Josephine Joseph appeared in the iconic movie Freaks and we have this like image of it, I feel like it's the same way we sort of have um, elevated the idea of Marilyn Monroe beyond the actual person. Mm -hmm. This idea of Josephine Joseph is an icon to us. I have chosen to claim that and use it as an entry point for audiences so when I invoke the spirit of that in a costume similar to that and use it, I'm using that entry point, that sideshow heritage, both to pay respect to true people that were going through some um, gender dysphoria that maybe only could get employment in the sideshow, and also to address and challenge audiences, is this how you still view us today? Have you changed it all, really? do you think you have? But really when you're faced with it, it's not that much different. So I view it as a really good bridge to pay respect to the past, but also as a way to like, I don't have to explain that image to people. They kind of get it. And then I don't have to do as much um, backstory. I can start from what I wanna talk about in the present day.
0: I think that's wonderfully put. And the reason I talk about That specific entertainer, there's a couple of different entertainers out there in the world who did this similar act around the time frame. Albert, Alberta... the family was involved in that whole show that was based in France during the 1930s, but because there are some acts in sideshow that people don't want to bring back, you know? So when I, when I was thinking about the history of that, I was like, Oh, that's so interesting to see someone to say like, no, we're going to bring this back from the thirties and I'm going to show you how we're going to do it in the modern day and age. And I thought that was just so cool to see that. Well, Thank you for elaborating on that. Yeah. So, we kind of talked about it already. We kind of talked about the next question you know, how have things changed for better or for worse? And it kind of brings me into my next question of the modern stages and modern, I mean, as you both have been producers, and you already said being from Coney Island, they've been doing it right there. My next question is are, are there ways that people can? change their either it be stage venue or producer. It's a it could even be a virtual stage or if there's situations that you've been involved in that you feel that they could work on to be more inclusive to queer individuals and specifically on how they could do that to create a more inclusive environment, be it their booking process. You understand how that booking process is. If there's people who may be lacking in their booking process, is there ways that you could give them advice on how they could work on that?
1: I mean, I think the one thing I would say, because one of the big motivators for us to start producing four years ago Mm -hmm. was we felt as both um, a lesbian couple and one of us being trans that we would get booked sporadically and on higher paying corporate events passed That's over mm-hmm. for either um, opposite sex couples or what we like to call two cis women doing male gaze girl on girl, girl. On girl. <laughs> and not something representative of true um, authentic queer relationships and because of that, we thought, well, we have to produce to give ourselves and other people, other marginalized people real opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I think how we describe it is, we don't think this happens, whether it be for us, other trans or queer people, people of color. Um, we, It's not because producers are necessarily operating from a blatantly prejudiced place, but it's because most producers and audiences live their lives in an inherent um, cishet white preference. Mm -hmm. It's not about being overtly prejudiced. It's just in a subconscious way, they've learned to prefer certain things over others.
2: And they're probably not even aware of it. If they thought about it. And
1: so whether it be a booking agent, a producer, an audience, they don't think about why they prefer this. It may not even be something deep down they even understand it's learned and they're not really making any conscious effort to see if they like anything else. And so so that's really was one of our big motivators in, in becoming sure. producers ourselves, yeah.
0: And seeing you both perform, it's like, it's why wouldn't you want two amazing ladies <laughs> doing acrobatics and aerial? And I do understand what you're saying, because I've seen that, but I haven't put those words to it, because some people may not put a lot of thought into the people they see on stage as far as the booking process. Like there is a choice, they made a choice and that was their choice. So that is such an amazing thing that for people to realize and to think about when they're booking is that there are so many different people that you can have on stage and it doesn't always have to be a man and a woman duo act, there's a variety to it. So how- (laughs)
1: I'm going to say that I also think another thing producers fail to do is you know sometimes they'll do the thing where they they've they feel like they've fulfilled the requirement of a diverse cast mm-hmm. but if you were to watch that show all of the the actual acts or art fall into a very comfortable place mm-hmm. because if you're really booking people who have different lived experiences of course The art is going to come from a different place and you are going to be uncomfortable with it or not totally maybe relate to it. So it's not just enough to book people that look different, but you have an expectation of them doing acts that fall within your lens. You need to book people that are making different work so that the work itself is more diverse and the audience is getting different points of view. Yeah.
2: Because if you don't learn something when you leave a theater, then what are you doing?
0: You're, you're <laughs> buying watered-down drinks. That's what you're doing. <laughs> exactly. And it's like you want to have a diverse audience. And if you have diverse audiences, that just means you have more butts in the seats. So why would you not want to have that? It's, it's mind-boggling. And I feel like people are shooting themselves in the foot to not ask themselves as producers or people who um, – who own stages, own venues, book different shows in those places, why you wouldn't want to have diversity because you are behind the times. It may sound like it's a lot to take, but it's true. If you're not with the things we're talking about, you are already behind the times and coming back to the real world as we leave our homes and as we get our vaccinations. By the time this is released, I'm sure there's gonna be even more people who are out and about and going out to see shows. There is nothing wrong with even if you're just an audience member, you're not someone who's on stage, you have a say to who you see on stage. Don't be afraid to reach out and say, you know what, I heard of this person, I thought that would be cool. You can say things in the comments, you know, if you feel like you don't have any power just because you're a person sitting in the seat, you do because you're the one who's paying to see us. So use that money, use that power, and to also demand to have those changes on your stages, wherever you're listening to this, whether USA or Otherwise, it still applies. Wow. Wow.
2: Audience power. That's Audience nice. power. Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: <laughs> so we've talked about so much. And it brings me to I want to hear from you both, of course. Where do you see the Sideshow umbrella going in the next five years? And I feel like this is going to be such an interesting question because the, with your backgrounds, with I feel like there's not a lot of people in Sideshow that dance. So seeing dancers in Sideshow is amazing as it is. And it's like, oh, there's so much potential with that in and of itself. I would love to hear.
2: Well, I mean, we have to put aside the next year or so of we're still in COVID. So that just wipes out a year.
0: <laughs> there, yeah, there is that. So let's let's jump over
1: <laughs> a couple of more. Not if you live somewhere with a governor that says this never happened. Though. I know
0: um that's yeah
2: okay so aside from that um I I don't know where the future of Sideshow is going in five years but one thing that we've that's right because we're not mentalists no
0: (laughs) (laughs) I was shrugging I was like oh yeah (laughs) that's not on the list of things that you do (laughs)
2: um but one thing that we've been really excited to explore in our work is bringing theater, more theater to Sideshow. Specifically in our um, two women show, Pixie Mm -hmm. Grit, we have decided to make it more of um, an evening length theatrical experience versus just a showcase of our skills. And I love seeing those shows too, but coming from our backgrounds, of theater and dance. Um, it's been really exciting to infuse that into Sideshow and mm-hmm. and see what possibilities we can come up with.
1: Right, yeah, um, yeah, Pixie really, it's scripted. It's not its not done in sort of the grinder or the traditional the grind. grind, sorry, mm-hmm. the grind. Mm-hmm. Um, like Coney Island, you know, yeah. 10 in one, rip it out. Um, so it's not done so much like a variety show even though you have all of the skills embedded. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think as we move forward, there's always going to be a place for that 10-in-one sort of power-packed yes. show. That said, um, as, we, as we have diverse performers um, learning these skills, these time-honored skills, I mean, you, you don't have to worry about like, the lineage of sideshow because mm-hmm. the skills are the skills. They're, they're thousands of years old, some of them. So the fact that someone's even doing sword swallowing or fire eating is history. I think the fact that people will start to tell their stories with these skills and they'll start to embed them into rich narratives that are, of current meaning and value. Yeah, that's exciting.
0: Um, I hate to interrupt you, but I wanted to say something right there that I felt was so powerful that I wanted to, I say that a lot. (laughs) Because there's so many things that hit home that's like, oh, I need to make sure people fully comprehend and understand what you're saying. And that Sideshow started out traditionally as a lot of it was telling other people's story, telling people about other cultures. They were trying to be, basic educational shows. As things progress, it progressed not so much of there was that one guy, the one talker, who was telling you about every person and developing their story. It's turned more into the entertainers talking and explaining their story. And a lot of the acts are starting to develop that way. And I think that's how we're seeing more of the diversity on stage is because there's more people who feel comfortable to talk about themselves and their culture. And that's one thing, other entertainers need to keep in mind as they're developing their acts is that think more about your culture, your story to tell on stage and not so much somebody else's. And I think that's where a lot of the confusion gets to with cultural appropriation and things like that. And I'm starting to go off on a long tangent. (laughs) Sorry for interrupting
2: you. No, That's what's so exciting is the skills are the skills and they're always going to be breathtaking and exciting and Um, all of that. But what I want to see is who you are in those skills. Um, That's what makes a theater to me. That's what makes an experience and and a show.
1: And also we've found like, we ask ourselves like um, intention questions with sideshow skills. Like we'll be working on a fire eating duet and we'll stop and go, but why did we eat fire there? (laughs) So, you know, there's a whole different process that I think many sideshow artists are bringing to it because at one time it was merely presentational Mm -hmm. or to present, like you said, to sort of sensationalize and present these histories or these exotic cultures that no one in the world had ever seen before. And of course that led into appropriation and exploitation. Now, I think there is a reclaiming from a lot of sideshow performers and saying, I can represent myself. I don't need someone else to tell the story for me, but I can still do these amazing skills mm-hmm. within this, um, this
0: self-representation. Yeah. So, I, I don't know if you really said faux pas about how you saw things were going in the next five years, in the future. (laughs) We weren't saying, we weren't Um, saying five. Uh, Aurora North kind of started talking about it. And they were like, oh yeah, we have to advance a little. (laughs) I
1: I think, I think where we, our minds have been a lot right now when there's no exactly how we move forward anyone with restrictions and what economies are going to be like. That said, I think the best answer I can give is we don't want to do What's already been going on? Right. I think we a lot of performers spin our wheels to barely pay rent. We 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 work really hard for not much money, and we um, there's this the current system that kind of died because Mother Nature said take a break, everybody, um, and then we have this whole outcry for for you know um, social justice. I think all of this, we would do ourselves and other people a disservice. I can't stand people saying, when we get back to like it was before, I don't wanna go back. I don't wanna go back. It was broken. So, I mean, I don't know what to say in five years where a sideshow will be, but I definitely want it to be somewhere else. I don't want it to revert and go, let's just go back to business as usual. I don't want it to be anything there. So whenever I find myself in the trap of, oh yeah, well, we can do that, I think, but is, no, do we want that? Do we want that to be structured that way? Why don't we try it differently? And so I guess to try to say anything specific is when we're writing a show or thinking about how it could work, I really challenge us to, to think what, have we not seen or done? Not just on stage, but as producers, as producers, Mm -hmm. as people who can facilitate, be a better community to our fellow people. Because I think what's happened for marginalized people is we get cut off from one another.
2: And then we lose power, you know? And that's, I mean, the whole world has gone through this devastating pandemic, but Mm -hmm. it's also kind of a chance to wipe the slate clean And that's why just feeding into what you're saying about going back to what it was and going back to normal. and like this slate is clean. Let's, let's figure out what we're doing going forward. This is a great opportunity.
0: Right. Yeah. Would there be any, and I'm sure this is probably going to be a longer answer with a, me having a short question. What are some (laughs) steps that we could do to, make things better than what they were before. That's kind of my goal with the podcast is to give some nuggets, you know, some working steps. I feel like there's a lot of people who talk all day about being inclusive or saying that this, you know, sure, our stages, my booking process, I'm inclusive in it, but yet you don't actually see that on stage. They tend to book the same person over, over, or the same, type of person the way they look you know um how they represent themselves on stage what are some steps that we could do to help people work on that whether it's booking or even not so much booking but just their interactions even with other people
2: very good question for for booking for our show for eat me i mean we we obviously know people that we've worked with before and we trust them. So I'm um, asking for recommendations for other performers. We also do a lot of research. We look at a lot of social media oh. and websites and like we try and and research performers that we've never worked with before. That's
0: such a good idea. And I hope people do that. And the, the few shows that I've done, even when I'm doing virtual shows, I'll go look at people's Instagrams. I'll go look at people's Facebook pages, not just their performance page, but their personal page, because how else are you going to know what people think about? Or, (laughs) uh, you know, if they are maybe not so good of an entertainer offstage, you know, by the way their behavior, their mannerisms, how are you going to know unless you research? That's a really good tip.
1: I think also it's a way of... um... Most of the time when I witness, and even I've started to witness some people as they're laying groundwork for coming out of this, already falling into these traps where they are, their plan is to cast diverse, but the front facing promotion and everything that gets people in the doors doesn't look diverse. Sort of that there's still this fear of, well, I have to sell the tickets based on one thing, and then we'll slip that diversity in the back door. Right. And I feel like, I literally feel like you're doing the nothing changes then. You're basically saying, we're going to get you in, but we can't, we got to have you come in the back door and, 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 and we'll, we'll put you in there. And I feel like risks have to be taken by, by everybody to say, look, we have to not just slip it in the show and slip it in the this and slip it in the classroom. You have to plaster it in the front and say, this is what the world ought to look like. Yeah. So that we are promoting people and elevating people, not just sort of making sure we pepper people in after the fact. Yeah.
2: and it- Normalize it. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think if we don't do that, we do our audience a disservice and we also kind of treat them like um, they're so narrow minded that, like, I I don't think we give our audiences enough credit. Um, If we give them what they've seen before, then that's all they know. But I think especially coming out of this pandemic, um, I think we need to give our audience more credit. They, they would probably love to see all this diverse casting and representation of art and skills but we don't always the hypothetical we don't always (laughs) you know give it to them because we're afraid of you know well
1: there's also this weird I mean we have to be willing to go if if there's some rich person that doesn't want to buy a ticket to your show because it's what it ought to be, Fuck them. You know, I don't need them as a customer. I mean, yeah, you know, I think there's this fear. There's we, fear. we actually said this to each other, like, oh no, there just, I will just say there was a situation that we had been invited into about plans for the future, and it was very um, ugly, we felt. And I, I literally remember saying, if we say something counter to the power structure here, it's not costing us anything. No one has any bookings right now. What are we all scared of? We're acting like it's, we're going to, if this is the one time where we have nothing to lose, Let's it's it. right now. Yeah. And how much does any one of us who has never been part of the, the, the majority Elite one, two, three percent have to lose anyway. What yeah. are we afraid of losing our one token booking a month? What are we? Why are we really that terrified? Yeah. The worst we can do is do the coolest shows ever, and those people don't come. Oh wow!
0: I, mean, I have seen know? so many good virtual <laughs> shows because of that. That mentality. I feel like. There have been so many good virtual shows because they've been able to book whoever they wanted. They didn't have any drawbacks. They didn't have to pay a venue owner. You know, They didn't have to do what the venue owner thinks is best for what they want on stage. So if we go back to shows without the same diversity we've been seeing in the virtual stages, it's gonna be such a major disappointment to our audiences. Don't forget that. You can't just t- suddenly do an about face. And what you're mentioning, Fopa, about sinking people in through the back door—it's like we already did that. Yeah. If people forget what traditional sideshow was, you know, if people forget segregation and all of that, we've already done that. So why are we doing that in 2021? That's silly put the people's faces on the flyer because it's gonna help the entertainer. They're getting that representation. It's gonna, like I've already said multiple times now in this episode, they're gonna see that diversity. So you're shooting yourself in the foot and you're preventing your community from progressing because of that. So don't do that. (laughs) Okay. So we've been talking for about an hour now, and I still have some, another really good question, short question, but long answer. <laughs> Words of wisdom to your younger self. It doesn't have to be your younger entertainer self. Oh, it glitched for a second. Are we there? Okay. Okay. Um, words of wisdom to your younger self. It doesn't have to be your younger entertainer self. It could just be your younger overall self. This could be something that's just a life lesson. It doesn't have to be performance-based, or it can be. <laughs> okay. You're thinking? Yes. thinking. take a moment. <laughs> I mean, my,
1: I would say to my younger self, um, you know, it's never going to change. Mm-hmm. You, You were born with a condition in which your anatomy is not what it ought to be. So just accept that and get on with that now. Quit trying to to pretend you can like go through life not dealing with that. And you know, I would say to my younger self, on your deathbed, you get no points in life for perfection. So make a lot of mistakes and try more shit. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I needed to hear that. Definitely. As we come out of 2021, do not forget what she says. (laughs) The world is your oyster. (laughs) How about you, Aurora?
2: Um, Similarly, um, I would tell myself, stop being so afraid. I was such a timid little, little teen growing up. um, And even, even through my twenties, um, And really, I think it took this pandemic for me to stop worrying what everyone thinks. Um, So stop being afraid, speak your truth, and stand up for yourself and stand up for what you believe in. Um, And I think that we present that in our work, and we have been, but I think I just need, I would tell my younger self to translate that into daily life.
0: Yeah. That is wonderful. I'm so happy to be able to talk to you both and be able to hear that. I feel like I've learned from this. And I feel like I hope people have learned a little bit more from this as well. And who knows, maybe this is just the first time that we get to talk together. (laughs) So do you have any shout outs or anything? We've already talked about some upcoming things that are happening this weekend. Oh, since this podcast comes out a little bit later, if folks want to still listen to or watch the workshop that they're most likely going to miss, will that be available to them
1: it will be available it's um if you're already a Southern Sideshow Hootenani member um then those archives are available if you see this and you're going oh Southern Sideshow Hootenani what's that you can go to the website or the Facebook um and become a member I forget because that's not my department but I think (laughs) annual membership is like 20 or 30 dollars it's kept very cheap it's good for one year. And then you have access to all educational materials, um, access to uh, performing as long as the lockdown's going on. There's an online show every month. You can even new performers can try out things in. Give a hoot. And then you can uh, apply to come on down to the actual nanny when we have it. Yep. Yeah
2: uh one shout out for our show um our our, our eat me a variety show virtual dinner theater um our next edition is on april 25th it's a sunday at 7 30 eastern time right and it's our cbgb edition
1: cbgb all artists doing acts to cbgb bands yep we have two guests booked for that already yeah we have miss kim kimberly
2: nicole in uh london
1: right She's an amazing singer, a nightclub singer, who
2: we worked with a lot of years at The Box. Mm-hmm. So she'll be singing some songs. And we have... Uh, Lucy Licious, she's an aerialist based in NYC. She also does puppetry and she has a company called Visceral Abstraction. Yes,
1: so we have that coming up. And I guess just to shout out to, uh, to people that have helped us get where we are, like um, Patrick David Wall. Our fire teacher out of Coney Island, Island yep. USA, Dick Zigan, oh, um, artistic Island. director Marie Roberts, who tutored us in we in painting our banner. She taught us how.
0: <gasps> I didn't know you painted that. <laughs> we
1: made our own banner, but Marie Roberts, who does all the banners at Coney, tutored us yep. in how to make a banner, how to do it. Yep and what uh, else
2: angela butch and yoni they are our acro, acro teachers, teachers that at, have really helped us um, at the muse well, brooklyn. Their space. they have a
1: circus school here the muse
2: brooklyn they've really helped us during this pandemic to increase our skills yes
1: so if you come to new york go study at the muse mm-hmm. and um my my first college modern dance teacher oh. who i thought i was going to be a ballerina and she said you really seem to get turned on by just seeing what the body can do. And it was the first time I thought, oh, you can move differently. Let's try that. <laughs> Diana Moore, that's wherever she is in the universe, wherever she went to when her body didn't fit anymore. Yeah.
0: Where can we find your Gooba
1: Gaba podcast? That airs on the either, um, you, the links will be on the Southern Side Show Hootenanny Facebook page. And website, um, it's a. It hasn't aired yet. There, I think the okay. first episode will air in about a month. I don't have a date yet. No, because there's like, I've been shooting forever. So we, there's like six episodes that are in. in the I'm not the. I'm not the post production. <laughs> but once they start, they'll go up like once a month. Yeah. Um, <gasps> we, I've interviewed some amazing people, Sarah Bird Girl, who invokes Cuckoo, the Bird Girl from Australia. Um and we've done uh jelly fit jelly boy jelly boy the clown clown sword swallower a lot of amazing so lots of people in there yeah
0: that's really cool so you all have to look out for all of those and i'm going to put links to those shout outs um the the best i can probably not all of those people But, and some of the other things that we talked about as well, I will have links to. Thank you all for joining us. Have a wonderful day.